Hello, and welcome to One Art Point Weekly, where we bring together a variety of perspectives to discuss the biggest stories of the week and decide what our point, or if in fact there are no point at all. Please, if you like what you hear, follow us on Twitter and Instagram at What Our Point. Today it is Monday, July sixth, and we have Ben and Dan again. Hello. Hey everyone. And so this week I would like to talk. Let's jump to current state of the coronavirus. So everyone is, I, I guess the entire U.S. is now sort of opened back to some extent, except for sort of isolated pockets. Um, and a lot of people are saying that we're on sort of, if not the downtrend, then uh, then we've sort of reached some sort of capacity. There's there, There's been reported, Ben, could you explain to us the difference... Um, between herd immunity and something called what was it called the um, the the disease breakpoint. What are the difference between those two concepts? Yeah, so one uh, so herd immunity is more or less theoretical um, because herd immunity is the point at which everyone has the virus or has been infected with the virus uh, or at least enough people have been infected to the point where the virus can't actually exist anymore and it will go extinct. This basically almost never happens except for you know, very rare concerted efforts on the part of humanity, like smallpox, like polio, that kind of thing. Um, although a couple of those diseases are maybe coming back, that's neither here nor there. Um, but the disease breakpoint is basically the point at which the virus is infecting fewer people than are recovering. So over time, you know, you'll see fewer and fewer cases and the disease will eventually be controlled. And so for the coronavirus, what what type of it's supposedly not it's contagious but not as contagious as some diseases there so what is it's obviously higher than the flu what i was reading that because our testing has been so bad in this country that the virus seems like it's been spreading since last year in november even and so we could be reaching a the breakpoint soon is that is is does that stand up to science yeah i mean it's it's a lot of speculation unfortunately um you know as you alluded to our testing has been really poor we've done a an incredibly shoddy job of actually tracking everything and gathering good and actionable data um normally the way that a virus is measured is how many people the average person will go on to infect and so for covid our best estimate is that the average covid patient will go on to infect somewhere between 2 and 3 other people as well so that's pretty aggressive generally um it's roughly twice as uh, as infectious as most strains of the flu um with a couple notable exceptions like the pandemic avian and swine flus or I guess just to give some context, Ebola was extremely low. I think Ebola was something like 0.1 or 0.2. So most people were not actually able, even getting to the point where they were infecting other people with Ebola, hence why like two people died in the entire U.S. Um, something like measles, I think, is, is around 10 plus because measles is incredibly virulent. Um, so that just kind of gives you a sense of the scale. The, the issue with COVID has always been that the way that this disease incubates, people don't necessarily know that they have it. And so you get the phenomenon, which is almost unique to COVID, where you have, you know, these super spreader events that happen. Um, you know, in Korea, a few months ago, they had one person who managed to infect, I think, two to 300 people. We're hearing the same kind of thing happening in churches in the South and the U.S. as they've reopened. So that's the kind of thing that can really 
cause this to explode almost literally um, in a in a certain area and can really contribute to overwhelming the health system if a lot of people are turning up very sick all at the same time. So it seems like there have been sort of two reactions to everything, one of which is that, or I guess you could say three, but the main two reactions are that this is scary and that we need to take all these precautions, but we need to be doing more for the economy and that there's been an overreaction to the virus. And then the other is that we start, we got off to such a late start that we, we probably even still underreacted because look at how bad it's gotten. Where politically do we stand now, Dan, in the universe of who's going to win the battle of who was right about this? It seems like at the beginning of a pandemic, people always worry about doing too little. But now that we've done a lot, it seems like there's already this rise and a backlash against what could have happened. Well, I think if you had said two weeks ago who was going to win, like there is a case that Trump was maybe doing okay because things had kind of tailed off across the country maybe maybe four weeks ago. Now that you have kind of the southern U.S. ramp in cases and you've had, you know, the governor of Texas who said like health mandates are like an abomination to freedom then issued a health mask or issued a mask mandate in the last week. So I think like you're seeing the tide turn a bit and the White House, apparently their new strategy they're going to roll out this week is the coronavirus is here, deal with it and just keep looking at the economy. It's going to get better, which is definitely not, I think, the optimistic, not a positive message for seniors politically where it's like just, hey, you might die, but, you know, the economy is going to be fine. So I think that's part of the reason for Biden's surge in poll numbers and has him winning with seniors right now. So I don't know. I think if things continue to get worse in the South in the next few weeks, then I think the strategy of did we do enough and people saying we thought people, the argument that we did too much, I think will fall by the wayside and will be panic mode on doing more. Especially if Trump continues to double down on his ridiculous take that we need to reduce testing. Um, you know, that's just so unbelievably irresponsible and it's the equivalent of a child, you know, closing their eyes and sticking their fingers in their ears when they hear something they don't want. Uh, it's, it, I don't, I, you know, I can't imagine that that message is landing with anyone really, um, aside from the, those who are fully drunk all the Kool-Aid. And so do we see a future now? The tables have completely turned where, like, I think we mentioned this on a previous podcast that. New York is shutting down travel from other states coming in where that was it was switched just a couple of months ago. Um, Are we just going to be like continually infecting and then reinfecting? I mean, it shows how there's really a problem with our federalist state system where it there's not clear lines everywhere. So there are going to be little pockets of the affection where what happens if. All of all of the places that are now infected, a lot of those people start coming back to New York. Then we're just going to be sort of trading the disease back and forth. I think that's the problem. It's what, when you have don't have a federal policy and you try to have states run the policy, it doesn't work. I think that's the end result. I mean, the U.S. curve was going down, and then people took the foot off the like gas on prevention, and now all the work that New York did could be undone, right? And that's. If in the fall we could see a new surge in New York and then Governor Cuomo's 
victory lap will look uh, like George Bush's mission accomplished photos. I don't know if you saw that Governor Cuomo had a mountain made and like unveiled this little oh like God, paper so mache mountain idiot thing to celebrate how good he did, which I was like, if you were tempting fate, that is a great way to do it. Yeah, that was rough. Um, so what are the thoughts? I heard that there's now a new challenger in the presidential campaign. Kanye West has entered the race. Everyone stop and take that in for a second. So what 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 are our thoughts on... All right, first, is he going to run? Will that actually happen? And then second, what percentage of the vote... How, how many people would actually vote for someone like that? And then third... What would the effect of any third... Is this the type of race that you could see a third-party candidate getting some traction? So I think the biggest hurdle for him is that he decided too late, and so he can't officially get in the ballot in most states. So that's a problem. So you have to be a write-in candidate. But you can definitely get some votes as a write-in candidate. Um, I think the huge thing is if you look at 2016 versus 2012 and 2008 in 2012 and 2008 the third party candidates collectively got between one and two percent of the vote maybe like it was about like 1.3 and 1.7 percent so barack obama won and he got 50 percent of the vote both times mitt romney i think got 47 48 percent of the vote in 2016 third party candidates got six percent of the vote and so Trump won the Electoral College only getting 46% of the vote. And so that's a huge difference. If And to this, so far this year, the thought was there's no third-party candidates. And so for Trump to get reelected, he would have to actually increase his votes from 2016 and get closer to, even with the Electoral College advantage, he might have to get 48% of the vote. So two, two points higher than he did last time, which seems like basically impossible, is my view. If someone can run a serious third-party candidate that even if they draw equally, then it could help him get to his, like, his win number, they would say, would, would come down. He might only have to get 46 or 45% of the vote, and so maybe could win. Problem is this doesn't seem like it's, I don't know, it, it's one of those, it's not serious, but it could be serious, And but the type of people that would vote, protest vote for Kanye West, I'm not sure the ones who were going to vote for Joe Biden in the beginning, so maybe it hurts Trump even more. And people do protest vote for Kanye, and then Trump gets 38% of the vote, and it's a landslide. So you never quite know. Who else would be in the picture as a third-party candidate? Is there anybody actually on the ballot um, in a lot of states? I, I don't know, actually. That's a good question of who has qualified. Like, is They're Jill Stein running? So she is not running. It doesn't look like Gary Johnson is either. Yeah. So right now, this Howie Hawkins is in first place going into the convention for the Green Party. So we'll see. Damn, Howie Hawkins. All right. The path has now been cleared for Joe Biden. I basically now think he's going to become president. Do you? Was that really that did it? I think it did. It's true. It makes a big difference. Well, it's kind of bizarre to think how many interesting. Like, Ralph Nader was a very interesting candidate. I right. wish he would Cost get back into politics. The election. Yeah, that's true. And then he Ross did. Perot. Ross Perot deserves a special Ross place Perot. in American history. Ross Perot cost probably George H.W. Bush re-election. He got an insane amount. I was looking that up right. the other well, day. Well, that's the crazy thing. Like, 
Bill Clinton won with, I think, 42 and then like 44% of the vote. All right. So who, if, if there was a third party candidate, who would you be, who do you think would pose the biggest challenge if somebody just decided to run? What do you think, Ben? Bernie. But Interesting. I, mean, I don't think he's going to do that. Like, but you know, Bernie is too smart to to do something like that. But he ha- he would have to be the the biggest threat if he mounted any kind of se- even semi serious writing campaign. I was thinking like Elon Musk because he has such a short name. You could write it really quickly. You know, it would help. <laughs> is that the That's primary true. consideration? I mean, he's also <laughs> isn't he not an American citizen? Oh is yeah, true. So, oh, can't run. Bummer. Yeah. Constitution. Ah shit. Rats. <laughs> Or what about someone with just one name? It's like uh, Beyonce. Yeah, got a lot of letters. Kanye. Yeah, and I you'd mean, have to, you have to write an accent. Oh yeah, that's true, Kanye. Is that his but, I mean, official I think it's, name? I think it's, or does it? Yeah, I, I mean, I think it's hilarious that he's like maybe the only person with a thinner skin and less of a sense of humor about themselves than Trump, and he's trying to he's trying to run. Well, that's why it'd be great because I do think he would take more votes from Trump. So. Yeah, well, mostly because it's mostly white people listen to Kanye. I also don't understand how he, like, did he not consult? Aren't him and Trump friends? He didn't consult with him before declaring he was going to run. I'm sure Trump's not very happy with him. With Kanye? Yeah. Oh, I'm sure he's furious. Really? I feel like this was, like, all just a stupid fundamental misunderstanding of the situation from those two idiots. Because I think oh, that they, they were like, Maybe. oh, yeah, let's, you know, get all the black people in the cities to vote for Kanye. You know, he's black. They'll love him. He'll probably, you know, win Illinois or something. Oh, so you think this is a plot? Trump is I involved. I think this is, a, like, another one of his harebrained, dumbass schemes. <laughs> It could That's be, funny. or at least to get attention <laughs> from for like a week or two. Yeah. When you think of it like that, it sounds sort of sounds like a Curb Your Enthusiasm episode or something. Trump is just so exactly. stupid. Or it's like something that the the crew of It's Always Sunny come up with, like when they're dumb plans. Yeah. <laughs> oh man. Okay. So all right, let's switch to something else. Um. Let's go back to sports. We love to talk about sports on this show, probably because we crave it coming back so much. Oh my god, I cannot wait for sports. Truly, I think one of the most fun things that's going to be happen that's going to happen in the near future is the slow crumbling of the NBA season in front of our eyes, because it looks like they are putting as much money possible into this thing, and it's just not going to work. People just more people keep testing positive. A bunch of people just don't want to go some of the funniest stuff to listen to is um damian lillard every time he does an interview he seems like more and more reluctant and more just bummed out to be going and he and recently he commented that he doesn't trust anyone to behave by the rules in place and i think that's a fair assessment i think that's the biggest problem with our country in general is nobody trusts the other person to to hold up to their end of the bargain because the, the way our country's set up is most people are trying to fleece or steal or, you know, pull a fast one on somebody around them or just basically cut corners. That's that's kind of the American way. And so if everyone else is doing it and you're not doing it, then you're the idiot. So it's, it's this vicious cycle where it seems like, anyway, I, I can't wait to see this happen in real time 
during the NBA bubble. What are y'all thoughts? Yeah, I, I think the news that they've had players that are quarantining or knowing they need to quarantine because they're about to start their NBA season and what was it? 8% tested positive in the first survey. And then last week, another like 5% tested positive is it's just going to be a disaster. I mean, what the, the problem is going to be, they're going to be in the middle of it and a star or two is going to test positive. And then what does the team do? Just forfeit. Like what happens, right? If you have a, yeah, that's outbreak. the part that makes no sense is did, did does everyone that saw that person quarantine for 14 days? Like, and then they just forfeit all their games. Like, I don't, wouldn't that also be other teams as well? Like, right. That's... You play against someone and then you someone has a positive test. Then what happens, right? Like, Or I guess if you get tested and you're negative, then you're fine. And so just the positive test person is out for two weeks. But it's going to be crazy because during this, it's going to last from, what they say, July, last week of July through early October. And so you're just going to have, I don't know, even if it's 30 people, which is like 10% of the players go, will test positive during it. It's going to be like randomly like, oh, and now uh, LeBron's out for two weeks. Good luck. And so it's going to be, I mean, crazy twists and turns, but it's just kind of like a bummer if near the end you have some major stars that are out for two weeks, then the whole thing is blown up. I feel like they should make it like a double elimination tournament where you drop to a loser's bracket if you lose or if your team gets coronavirus. Right. I mean, it's and not a bad idea. Sort of like the whole yeah, you can uh, have a coronavirus down there. Yeah, bracket. That's a great idea. <laughs> that actually really is a great idea. I'm in. So wait, it's, it seems like logically it could make sense that, that they're building in this buffer of having people quarantine or at least isolate themselves before they go in so everybody that enters even if they've had coronavirus should at that point be coronavirus free so everyone will be going in having been tested every day that's the theory so ben how does it work so simply is that like so is there no example um scenario where somebody is sick for a while then they think they shed the virus, but for some reason, I don't know, like a little, there's a little hidden virus just hanging out in one, you know, in someone's gallbladder, and then he just jumps out and surprises the whole body, and then he has the virus again. Is that possible? Like, it seems like that that things never happen as black and white in these situations as they're trying to make it seem. That's a good question. So what you're sort of describing is the presence of what would be referred to as like a reservoir, a hidden reservoir of virus. That's not necessarily such a huge concern with coronaviruses specifically, with other types of viruses that are called DNA viruses, where they can actually integrate into your genome, um, HIV being an example of this. That's much more of a concern because that infection can, can flare up again. There's been no evidence that COVID is likely to do this, but, you know, we as I keep saying, we don't know everything there is to know about this virus. I would say it's unlikely, especially if you're getting tested every day. Um, I think it's unlikely that you would ever get to the point where you would be um, able to transmit the virus again. But, you know, that's just conjecture. So once they're in the bubble, if someone tests positive, it's most likely some it somehow came in from outside the bubble or, or was taken in somehow. It's not from someone that's infected before they got in, right? Yeah. That would be my uh, my hypothesis, yeah, for sure. It is it is in in 
if you zoom out a little bit, it's kind of amazing that Florida is the chosen location for this bubble situation that's now exploding. Yes. Well, Ben, do you want to update us on uh, Pfizer? You were saying that they have a vaccine in the works. Yeah, so Pfizer has a vaccine, and the news that just came out this past week is they released some initial phase one and like very early phase two trial results, uh, where basically they showed that patients who received their vaccine had comparable levels of antibodies to people who had been confirmed to receive co- or to be infected with COVID. So that's a good sign. It doesn't necessarily demonstrate that they will be protected going forward. We, you know, we talked we talked a little bit about reinfection. We are still kind of assuming that once you are able to develop these antibodies, you'll be protected to uh, from reinfection. This is not 100% certain, but this is certainly encouraging. And Pfizer actually said that they think that they can have a vaccine to market in October um, in terms of actually getting it produced and distributed, probably not until uh, at least spring of 2021. But the timeline is extremely optimistic and, you know, it all looks good. You know, I, I think we, we talked also before about um, how Russia could develop a vaccine. You know, if you don't give a shit about the people that you're testing it on, then after you've given them the vaccine, you could have them, you know, snort a vial of COVID up their nose and see what happens. Um, so that would be kind of the definitive way to do this experiment. You In the U.S., it's not really something that you could feasibly do right now. So we're having to use these kind of proxy measurements, which is levels of antibodies. It's not necessarily demonstrating protection, but it's the best kind of humane metric that we have. Nice. So we're, it sounds like we might, or Pfizer is what, a German company? Where are they from? Pfizer's American. Oh, US, of a. US of A. US obviously, of A, obviously, we're leading the front runner. We are the best. Yeah. So we're going to beat the Russians. Made their huge fortune on Viagra, and how they discovered it is kind of a hilarious story. I don't Do know if you know tell that. Us that. Go for it. Sure. Well, they were trying to develop a heart pressure medication, a heart pressure, a blood pressure medication. Um, and so they were targeting a particular uh, type of receptor called a vasodilator. And so they gave it out to all these patients. And all of the men came back and they had no change in their blood pressure, but they all desperately wanted more of it. And it was only upon like subsequent investigation that they discovered that it was targeting a different vasodilator, which is localized specifically to the male genitalia uh, as opposed to the general bloodstream. And so they just kind of had a multiple billion dollar drug fall into their laps that way. Their laps. I like it. Yeah, there you go. Pun intended. Pun intended. Thank you for listening to What Our Point this week. You can follow us on Twitter or Instagram at What Our Point. On behalf of Seth, Dan, and myself, we hope you're all staying well, still wearing your masks, and are hopefully making the most of this incredibly crappy summer so far. Thanks, and we'll talk to you again soon. Bye now.